That's the stereo. Um, welcome uh, to the penultimate event in the new writing series this quarter. Uh, <laughs> Finally. <laughs> you know what happens when it's penultimate. <laughs> The ultimate. Uh, the, uh, I need to. I, I need to thank the dean's office of arts and humanities for their uh, support, as well as the Sims Family Trust. Uh, and I need to introduce our distinguished UC Verse colleague, Alexandra Salm Pasquale, who uh, does work on, among other things, on Jorge Carrion's work, yeah. and. Um, and we're very, very pleased to have you here to do this honor. So, so thank you so Thanks much. So. And um, well, hi, hello. It's a real pleasure for me to introduce Jorge Jordi Carrion, uh, one of the most interesting contemporary writers, not only in Spain, where he's originally from, but in the Spanish language. Carrion, like most writers from his generation, although generation is always a complicated topic I don't really want to discuss here today, um, um, although some critics like myself have associated him with a new wave called mutant writers, a generation of writers born around the 1970s whose defining characteristic would be the explorations of the frontiers of the hybrid, understanding hybridity here as the mix between genres, technologies, platforms, or different types of artistic expression deeply related to our new 21st century technological condition. This peculiar Spanish movement, whose final goal will be to question the purpose and nature of art in today's current context of information technolo technology, it is not unique, and we can find examples of shared practices in writers in Latin America and the U.S., more specifically in the work of the so-called avant-pop and also the conceptual writers, such as Kenneth Goldsmith, who, when faced with today's unprecedented amount of available digital text, express he will not try to write more of it. Instead, he will learn to negotiate the vast quantities that exist. How he makes his way through this thicket of information and how he'll manage it, how he'll parse it, how he'll organize and distribute it is what distinguishes his writing, their writing, from previous generations. Carrion's works as most, and I'm going to be bold and add experimental writers today, include original works of literary criticism, critical editions, and compilations. In fact, Carrion is responsible for a, va for a very recent anthology of journalism chronicles uh, in Spain and Latin America, written in Spanish, that he just got published a few weeks ago, and he's presenting in Tijuana next week. He's a doctor in Spanish literature, and he teaches creative writing and journalism at the Universidad Pompeu Fabra in Barcelona. His critical work deals with some of his own creative interests, such as travel literature and the inclusion of popular media, specifically television and television series, in works of literature. A fascinating example of this is his 2011 work, Tele Shakespeare. <laughs> he has also been part of the editorial board and collaborator of important literary journals and magazines in Spain and Latin America. And in addition to this, of course, he has written works of more pure fiction, such as a recent book, Los Muertos, the Dead, published last year, 
that presents itself as a simulated, best-selling, novelized version of an inexistent TV show titled Los Muertos. And the novel plays masterfully with notions of simulacrum, TV reality, and seriality, and it's part of that tetralogy, of which he will talk about a little bit more here today, I expect. Uh, most importantly, he has published works of travel literature, and that range from more traditional works covering his trips to Australia, in Australia un viaje, and La piel de la boca, um, that covers his stay in Argentina, as well as his most intriguing and best works, in my humble opinion. Two particular private editions, GR83 in 2007 and Cronica de Viaje two years later, that grow from the conventions of travel literature as a genre to evolve and be recontextualized within our current virtual traveling experiences in the web. While pastiche and collage have long been part and, and parcel of writing, as the North American conceptualists keep reminding us, <laughs> with the rise of the internet, plagiarism intensity has been raised to extreme levels across the globe. Carrion does not hesitate to reach out of more conventional writing structures, like grammar, paragraphs, or the alphabet, to express himself in a different sort of paragrammatics as a recombination DJ behind a masterful juxtaposition of Google Elements or other images that compose these particular works. His use and recycling of alien elements found elsewhere and created elsewhere, external to the writing genius, allows him to negotiate his own personal and national identity in today's complicated network of global communication. Just as Marjorie Perlov, Goldsmith, or even media theorists like Lev Manovich have reminded us, while traditional notions of writing have been primarily focus on, focused on originality and creativity, our digital environment fosters new skill sets that include manipulation and management of already existent and ever-increasing language. Carrion's relation to our current information and language society and the way the writer and the individual create within them, it's definitely an interesting aspect of contemporary literature and I hope Jordi will shed some light upon these issues here today. Gracias, Alex. De nada. Thank you very much. Uh, I just met Alex uh, two hours ago. Then there is not there is nothing personal in all the things she said. I'm very sorry for my English. I have been uh, learning English for, I don't know, 30 years, but uh, no way. Uh, I can read English. Uh, I can read your poems, but uh, I don't really can speak English then. Thank you for being here and to listen to me. When I speak in English, I have to use the PowerPoint. Then uh, let's start. Uh, because you don't know me, uh, I thought it could be a good idea to to do a kind of presentation of myself, of my life, of my work. I am uh, this one, <laughs> as you can uh, imagine. Uh, and I think it could be a, a good point to start talking about myself because... Uh, 
he is my my grandfather and I didn't really uh, meet him because uh, he died a few weeks after this photo and I don't really have uh, memories of a really uh, intense relationship with him but this photo is also important for me because uh, this house here was our uh, weekend house of my of my family uh, is a very poor one because uh, all my family is from Andalusia that is in the south of Spain and they are part of a wave of uh, emigration to the north of Spain and then I was born in close to Barcelona in Catalonia uh, but of all, all my relatives are from from the south and for me I, I understand now that uh, to have this uh, little countryside, no, this little uh, campo, uh, forest, trees, uh, flowers, and this very poor uh, house was a way to uh, recover part of the things they lost when they came to the north because they were from rural areas in the south of of Spain. Uh, in this photo I was still uh, Jorge, Jorge Carrion, but probably that year or the or the following one I was uh, my, my, my name was changed to uh, Jordi because the Catalan uh, professor of the children used to do that. Uh, Jorge is a very difficult name in in Catalan. In Catalan, in Catalan, we don't have the jota, the j, and the r is very uh, soft. Then Jorge is very difficult to pronounce for you and for and for Catalan people. Then uh, I started being uh, Jordi, and and this was very political, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm violent because uh, she didn't ask permission to my parents to, to change my name. But uh, I don't know, it was like normal in, in those years because Catalan was forbidden for 20 years, uh, 40 years during Franco dictatorship. Then, uh, I don't know, it was, it was kind of normal. And my, uh, I, I, I call that uh, like control schizophrenia, no? Uh, my control schizophrenia or my double identity of my two names started then because I don't really feel uh, from Andalusia. I feel from Catalonia, but I don't really feel Catalan and I don't really feel Spanish either. Uh, I didn't have a, a library at home. Uh, we... we we had only few books, and uh, actually, I am the first person in my family that uh, has gone to the university and and to had a, a degree. Then, I think uh, I had to to find my own tradition. Uh, the first one, I think, was my family, and I'm going to talk about them later, because 
several of my books talk about my my grandparents and my my family but uh also i started to find my my own tradition uh in some books in some authors and thinking about that i think the most important one when i was like 18 19 years old was this one that you know very well uh in english is hopstock hopstock uh, in Spanish is uh, Rayuela. And actually, my first book, the first book that I published was this one. And it's called uh, N. And it's a, a love story. It's written by uh, fragments. Uh, some of them are like uh, essay about love. Some of them are autobiographical. Some of them are poetry. Some of them are, are fiction. But they are very, very naive. Uh, I think it was a mistake to publish <laughs> this book. I was 22 years old, I think, 23. Uh, and the, the model is clearly uh, this one, Cortázar. After that, uh, I started to to try to find another another tradition. Uh, I don't know if you remember uh, the silence of the lamps. Yeah, there is a a very good moment when uh, Clarice Starling uh, goes to 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 meet uh, Anibal Lecter uh, because she's trying to to find who is the psycho killer. And Aníbal Lecter uh, says to, to, to her, uh, you, you always uh, desire, you always want at the first time what you have close to you, what you have near. Then uh, I think when I was reading uh, Rayuela, I, find, I found sorry, uh, a, a model close to me, but then I, have to, I had to go far away to be distant of myself, and then I started traveling in order to, to find my, my own way and my, my, own, my own tradition. And, and then I, I found that uh, the first important traveler in the history of the Spanish literature was uh, Benjamin de Tudela, the Jewish uh, traveler that was amazing. The, his, his trip around the Mediterranean Sea in the 15th century. Then I, I was reading very hardly uh, Sarmiento, probably the most important uh, traveler uh, in Spanish in the 19th century. He was from Argentina. And finally, uh, sorry, and people like Jan Morris that... Uh, is one of my favorite uh, Britain uh, traveling writers uh, in English. That you know that uh, was in the when when he was young, he was James Morris, and then uh, he changed to Jan Morris, and and she is still married to the same woman. But it was with three writers that I. Think I found my my territory 
in order to to build my own literary tradition when i was like 23 24 25 years old i started reading seriously uh, bruce chatwin english juan goitisolo spanish and max Siebel, uh german and then i found i think my my territory i don't know if it's necessary to to read the, the quotes I don't think so because you can read in English. <laughs> but uh, I have this part of, of the song lines that is a book about Australia and I read it in Australia. Or uh, this one by Juan Guitisolo of uh, his memoirs. Forbidden territory. Or this one uh, by the first uh, important book by Sibel uh, After Nature in the translation of Michael Hamburger. I didn't really uh, feel myself as a Spanish, and I told you. Uh, I didn't feel that I be belonged to a, a concrete nation, and slowly I started to, to find my way, and five years after publishing Ene, I uh, left, 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 left everything in Barcelona, I bought my bike, and I went to live in, in Argentina, and I started traveling around uh, South America in order to find uh, my way. And my first text, the, fir the first text that I feel now, it was uh, my own voice, is called uh, El Grito. You can see it in the screen. And is the uh, first uh, text of a project called uh, La Brújula, The Compass. I started making photos of all, all the compasses uh, I saw in my trip, in everywhere. Not only the, the object, but the rep representation in, in walls, in pictures, in museums. And I also started to uh, to make a kind of collection of uh, handmade made books, uh, art, artisanal, artisanal. Yeah, handmade. handmade books uh, in different countries I was visiting. The first one was El Grito, and she's Mercedes, an Argentinian friend, and also a graphic designer. Uh, this one is in Beijing, and was another project uh, about it was a text. There is a kind of phrase that I uh, discovered in Argentina, and they to everyone told me that uh, it was a Chinese uh, typical phrase. No, un, un, you're saying un, a saying. A saying. Uh, but when I, I went to China, nobody uh, knew that, and not in Beijing in in. Uh, 
in Shanghai, in Xi'an, nowhere. Then I, I uh, brought it, and uh, a Chinese friend uh, translated it to me. And uh, this uh, very important calligrapher, calligrapher uh, brought it in, in Chinese, and now it exists <laughs> in, in Chinese. And for me, it's very important because, you know, there is not anything is uh, solid. And also the tradition can change and the literature can, can work in this, in this way. All of these uh, texts, chron chronics or articles, poems, this is Espresso La Brújula, is the name of a, of a bus, a night bus in Argentina. Here I was uh, making the Chinese book. This is part of La Brújula, like the, the, all the body is in your feet. This is a, 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 a painting? A painting of uh, Torres Garcia, the most important Uruguayan painter. And it's also a, a compass here. And all these texts mm, are in, the, in my first book for me, for my my first uh, work called The Compass, La Brújula, that was published in 2006. After that, I started working in another, uh, in another book that is also in the same project, La Brújula, that is called uh, GR83. GR83 is the name of a path a walk that uh, is connecting Mataró, the, the town where my parents live, with the Prunis. And this is the way that the Republican uh, exiliates followed in the 39 when Franco arrived to, to Barcelona. I did this, uh, this trip uh, with three friends walking for one week. And it's a book about uh, emigration and exile. But I wanted to, to find a form that was this Camille del North. This is the process of, of collage of the book. I had to, to find a, a, a form that was Sebaldian. That was an, an homage to Sebel, but that I, 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 I didn't copy Sebel. Then I, I thought that it was interesting to put the image in the place of the text, and the text is a footnote of the, of the photo. And I was also working with a visual artist, Frances Abad, that was born in the same year of Sebel, and has been all, the, all, all, all his life working the same subjects, but in Catalonia, while Sibal was doing more or less the same in England and, and Germany. This is part of the, of the book that I, it, it was published 
in Mataró there is only two two hundred copies, and because uh, I published it with public money, with a grant, uh, I didn't sell it, but uh, I did a kind of performance and I gave it to to the public. This this uh, installation is by Francis Abad, is an homage to to Walter Benjamin and is another point of connection between Sibal and, and Amabat. And the, the end of the book is the, the document of an execution in Franco, Franco's time. But actually, uh, six years before this trip, I finally went to Australia to write uh, for me my my biggest book, my biggest project, uh, because part of my family lives in Australia. Uh, in the 60s, when my grandfather and my grandmother came to Catalonia, the other part of the family, my uncle, uh, went to Australia in the operation called Kangura operation. Eh? It was be, 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 between the uh, Bisonte operation, Bisonte, Bison operation, that was uh, some Spanish immigrants to Canada, and then it was the Kangura operation, and the year following uh, started the emigration to to the north of Europe for for working. Uh, my family went in the 60s to Australia, and no one from my family in Spain ever has visited the, them. And I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old when I uh, told my mother that I was going to go to Australia. Um, for my mother, was crazy because it's very expensive and it's normal to, to buy a sofa that uh, is, no, costs 3,000 euros but not going to Australia. I went to Australia, uh, and I made a very big trip from Sydney here to Cairns here. It is like 3,000 kilometers by Greyhound. And I went to all the... <laughs> you understand me that... Tomorrow I'm going from Los Angeles to San Francisco by Greyhound. It's not a big deal. Uh, and I went to all the little uh, villages where my family in the 60s were uh, cutting uh, sugarcane. And I was investigating uh, all the emigration of the Spanish people to Australia in the 60s. And I also uh, interviewed uh, all my family. It was a very hard story. And then I took a, a plane, a flight, from Keynes to Darwin here, three hours. And then I went from Darwin to Perth here by Greyhound. <laughs> <laughs> 4,000 kilometers. Uh, because I found that uh, in the 19th century, there were a wave of emigration, of religious emigration, 
from Spain to Australia. Because in Spain, it was forbidden the Catholicism during few years. And uh, here, close to the Kimberley Mountains here, there is a very little mission uh, that exists now. And here, close to Perth, there is a, a monastery, a Spanish monastery, uh, that is very similar to Montserrat, the most important monastery in Catalonia, and actually is the only place in, in Australia where people uh, sleep siesta. Mm -hmm. It's the same timetable of uh, Montserrat. Uh, was very interesting, and uh, also it was very interesting to discover that uh, the person that founded this monastery was born in Mataró, the town where my parents lived. There, the, after the trip, I went to the church in Mataró, and I asked to, for the born act, the born document, of this uh, monk in the 19th century, and he was really, it was really there. After that, I was five years writing in Argentina, in Chicago, and in Spain, this book, Australia, uh, Un Viaje, that uh, for me, I insist, is the, I don't know, is the most uh, ambitious book I had written. And after that, uh, I arrived to a non-end non path. Callejón, is it? Like a dead end, like a cul-de-sac? Yes, <laughs> uh, because every book is different from, from the others, and then I had to, I don't know, make something different. And uh, because Australia is about the family of my mother, I uh, felt that I have to write something about the family of my father. Then is when I thought about my uh, grandfather, Pepe, the one of the photo, and I started uh, investigating about him. And then is when I decided to uh, write a book or to design a book that uh, represents the, the mutations of traveling in the last years of the first decade of the 21th century. And I started working in this book that is uh, called Crónica de Viaje, uh, Travel Text. And it's a book uh, that was very difficult for me because I'm not a graphic designer. Then I had to, to wait for years until I, I found one that uh, can do it for free. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I... I thought that uh, it was very easy to reproduce Google Google uh, form and Google ways, and, and also that I was not interested in reproduce it because uh, Google is a is a enterprise, no? is a company, and then I had to change things. I have to make my own Google. This is why uh, you cannot see it. Yes, well, you cannot see that, but here is Google uh, JC. 
<laughs> it's my my own Google. Then the first thing is a kind of a prologue or introduction. Uh, then you have all the Googles you have in the in the book. The this this page, the main page, with uh, Google videos, that is not nothing like uh, the real one. The web, that is the normal Google, but I have. I made a lot of changes. Google Blogs, Google Video, then Google Destiny, that is very interesting because uh, it tells you the, the future with with four, it's like, you know, the, the tarot is the same, no? It's four pictures that says you, the metaphor of your destiny, uh, maps and earth, but you're going to see that it's different. Uh, it looks like real Google, but actually is a collage of uh, documentary text and real text, but in a different order to to uh, find a meaning that is not in the original text. But after that, this text was uh, published in a, an anthology called Mutantes, and after that, if you put in Google the words Catalonia, Andalucía, Literatura Migración, the first option is my text. Yeah. I have changed again, like with the Chinese text, I have changed also reality. Then uh, the main part of the book is a very long interview to my grandmother, Teresa, that was married with Pepe. And I invented these uh, Google videos that is like a photogram, like photograms of the video with uh, some part of the of the script, but it's also fake. But the video is real and the interview is real. And then I invented the Google Earth with Zoom, with Zoom, and uh, it was a, I was searching for the um, place w my family was living in the 40s and 50s. But uh, the river uh, destroyed it, and the zoom is not able to find the, the place. Then I have to go and. Well. Uh, after that, I published my uh, PhD dissertation. Dissertation about Godisolo and Sebal, but because actually I was writing all the books at the same time, La Brújula, GR, Crónica, no Crónica, no. Well part of Chronica and Australia, and my dissertation w were written at the same time during five years. I have five hands. And then I arrived to, uh, I'm very sorry, <laughs> talking only about me. Uh, then I, I arrived to a, to a moment that I couldn't find really uh, another form to another travel writing book. Uh, I was in Berlin for one month investigating about the, the wall. And I was also twice in Israel. And I went to the Palestine wall. And I was doing a lot of research and interviews to Palestinian people and Israeli people. And I was 
planning to make a kind of uh, wall of paper and uh, a kind of collage of quotes and travel writing in one side in Spanish and in the other side in Catalan. But I didn't find uh, the way to do it. And one day in Jordan, uh, walking in Jordan, uh, I thought about a novel. It was the first time in my life I was thinking about fiction. And, uh, and I started writing the, that uh, afternoon this novel, uh, The Dead, that uh, is a novel... Uh, is a novel that uh, invents an American series, American television series, American drama, about uh, the dead. Lo puedo revelar. Si no se traducido ni nada. The dead of the fiction. Uh, <laughs> the dead of the era fictional era characters. Era yeah. Okay. <laughs> fiction is dead anyway. Fiction is dead and the author is dead and I don't know what they're doing here. Uh, no, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a television series that uh, the, the main characters uh, are people like us, but they are not like us because actually they are uh, people that were fictional characters. And after the dead in El Quixote, the dead, uh, The Sopranos, Blade Runner, uh, <laughs> Superman, uh, they are living a new life in this fictional world. And it's not funny. It's very and they don't remember, so it's very traumatic. It's very tragic because they don't remember who they are, and but they have probably a, an a scar here, no? And they don't know who they are, and it's very tragic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, for me, it was a, a way to uh, change uh, and to. Uh, work between the fiction and the critical essay, because the novel has four uh, parts. The first one is like that, that Alex is going to read. The second one is uh, an article. The third one is, all, again, fiction. And the fourth one is an academic paper about the uh, success of this uh, series of of television that is American, uh, and for me was a way to uh, think about the relationship between Europe and and the States, and also uh, wh why we need your fiction. Why is so important the American fiction to the European people? Uh, and Alex is going to read okay. a fragment. Um, so it's, it's the beginning of a section, right? I don't know, but okay. The Cemetery at Sea. How long have you been lying here, honey? Asked Selena, stroking his hair. All day. I've been thinking, I'm not going to look for my community, says Lenny, hungover. I mean, I already have a community. I don't need the other one, even if it, if it is for real. Nothing is real, Dad. 
You're right, sweetie. You're absolutely right. But there is one thing that's real. You two are my community. A chain of hands. Actually, I came here precisely to tell you, Jessica begins, the girl's parents focus intently on her face, that I've found my community. You've probably heard of it, the community of the star. As a child, I knew that I've been in a kind of ghetto. Since childhood, the oracles have spoken to me about all that death I witnessed before I materialized. But until now, I hadn't found the path. I mean, until now, I've never felt the need to belong. To belong to a superior entity, you know. To something bigger than us or than Samuel and me. It's a powerful community. Most of them share the same memory of being marked, stigmatized, with two true triangles, one above the other. I'm going to join. It's curious, interrupts Selena, how the years go by in superficial conversations, important enough because they express affection, but superficial in the end, because rarely, only eight or nine times in a lifetime, do we talk about what really matters. <laughs> You're right, Selena. Roy and Selena look at each other, which is why it's time to tell her about Nadia. Richie Aprili gets a violin awakening, a municipal unit Three huge men in white uniform haul him off the ground and carry him to the van that's also white and parked about five yards from where the new one was sleeping. Richie April suddenly breaks free and runs for it. The men don't move. Out of sight, breathless from running, he sits on the ground and presses his fingers to his temples. Think, shit, think. He's shaking. He doubts, hesitates, then acts. Rummaging through his pockets, he scraps together $60 out of bills and loose change. He smooths out, out the bills. He folds them around the coins and puts the money into one pocket. He's calmed down. He flattens his hair. He stands up. He starts walking, searching the shop front down the next avenue for an internet sign. He spots one. A bunch of teenagers are playing on the computers. How much? He asked the guy at the desk at the back. Three bucks an hour. And if you give me a hand? Annoyed, the guy rasps. Ten bucks extra, man. <laughs> Seven. Okay, deal. You're a new one, yeah? Kind of. So what are you after? Gutierrez feels the soft texture of cement on his feet. He's standing inside a one cubic meter container with the barrel of a pistol on his right eye. You wouldn't die, but it would be very, very painful. There are people who remember how in the other life, this type of death was called a Mo Green special, says the gunman. Michael, I don't understand why. Mr. Corleone, I've told you a thousand times that you have lost the right to call me by my first name, you fucking snitch. Five suited men play the role of spectators or silent cars around the two of them and the container full of cement. I don't want to go to the cemetery, for Christ's sake. I don't want to join all the people I buried. I don't want to, please. I don't want to. I won't be able to bear it, for Christ's sake. His words crumble into a whimper. Just look what this piece of scum was has turned into. A coward. Who'd have thought it, Gutierrez? Although he's still speaking to him, Michael Corleone maintains his aim while he glances at him. Remember what we do to pig informers and snitches. Gutierrez's face has become a pit of fear, a tremulous target, where the, gun, where the gunman to shoot, even if the barrel were already an inch away from his right eye. It's likely the bullet would go through his nose, 
eyebrow, or cheekbone, such is the rate at which the face is shaking, collapsing from sheer terror. Yeah. Uh, Michael Corleone. Uh, Richie Aprile is one character of uh, The Sopranos. And the uh, first one, Jessica, is the girl of the Schindler list. The list of the Schindler? Yes, yes. The, the girl that survives. Uh, but they don't know that. The fiction is, is written uh, in the middle between the normal novel and the script of a television. And also it's very difficult to translate to English. That was made by Australians uh, in a workshop in Melbourne. Uh, it's very difficult because the Spanish in the original sounds like uh, translated from English. It's a kind of fake and then it's impossible to, to translate to any other uh, language. It's also important that in the first part, the characters are from Blade Runner, most of them. And in the second part, the first part is in the 95. The second part is in the 2010. And the characters are from Los Soprano, the Sopranos. Then it's the cinema in the first part and the, and the television in the second one. It's a kind of evolution. Uh, in these years, I was <laughs> reading a lot uh, Alan Moore, the author of Watchmen. Alan Moore has uh, some comic books, especially one called Promethea, that is about what is uh, a fiction character uh, from from the from Homer until now, no? from Achilles to Superman or to Neo. And I was very interested in that, in my book. And also, <laughs> this is very good. <laughs> and also in the in the next book, my my last one, Tele Shakespeare, I tried to to think about the the context of the dead. The dead uh, is a, a series made by two characters, Mario Alvarez and George Carrington. And I started uh, watching all the American series to discover uh, how are working Mario Alvarez and George Carrington because Los Muertos is only one little piece of a uh, tetralogy uh, that is called Las Huellas. Mm -hmm. Oh, the footprints? Sí, pero no solo de pies. Or the... Okay. The, the prints. The prints. Any type of prints. <laughs> like your it's a big novel of... Your fingerprints or your <laughs> yeah. footprints. All, all the prints. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but not the prints from like... But prints. Not the prints. The prints. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a uh, four, uh, 800 or 900 pages uh, novel. Um, between, But it was very boring only to write one novel of nine... 900 pages. Then I was watching all the American series and writing this this book. Uh, at the same time, something happened in Spain one year ago. Uh, 
the so-called uh, 15M, 15 May movement, a uh, political movement of young people uh, against uh, politics. Then, uh, because the economics, the economical crisis that is very, very hard now in Spain, then I decided that I could not be uh, doing the same that I did before the crisis, and I started a new project after La Brújula that is called uh, El Juguete Rabioso, uh, The Mad Toy, uh, that is the title of a very good novel by the Argentinian writer Roberto Al. And uh, it's a project of uh, fanzine and self-edition. The fanzine is called El Juguete Rabioso, fanzine de fake remake uh, y ensayo ficción, uh, critical fiction or fictional essay. And in the first number, this one, we will translate a short story by Ben Greenman. I don't know if you know him. Is a uh, is remakes of uh, short stories by Chekhov with celebrities. In this one is a very well known uh, short story, and uh, and uh, main characters are Paris Hilton and her friend. I don't remember the name of the other one. Ah yes, the the short story is the El Gordo y el Flaco. The, oh, the yeah. Chekhov. Is Lorraine Hardy? Yeah, but the but Chekhov, no. El... Yeah, but the fat and skinny, I don't know. Yeah, but with Paris Hilton and, mm -hmm. and, and Who's who? Nicole Richie. Uh, well, it was very interesting, the project for us, because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a fanzine. It's the, the typical fanzine we used to do when we were 15 or 17 with photocopies and in black and white because I, I think the, the economical moment is for this kind of uh, production. And this is why my last book is this one. Uh, I bought the last 120 uh, books of Ene and with an artist, a friend, and with another friend that is very good working with his hands. I have made a uh, remake of my first novel. <laughs> very cheap, because everything is by hand. And it's the 10th uh, anniversary edition. <laughs> and it's a critical edition. <laughs> and my myself in the 2012 is analyzing and crit making critics of myself when I was just a follower of uh, Julio Cortázar Rayuela. This is why in this page, I don't remember that. In one page, uh, you cannot read the text because a page of Rayuela is... <laughs> Is here and you can because it's the the influence. Well, the the point is to to toucher? to scratch out to scratch out a lot of things to uh, make some funny comments 
for instance, my, my character is an autobiography, autobiographical fiction. Then there is a, a girl called N, that is Nina, and a, a boy called Jota, that is me. And then Jota is uh, smoking. And here you can read, I have never smoked in my whole life. <laughs> uh, but also, there are f uh, footnotes. Footnotes, uh, like real critical work and well some photos and some it's funny things. Uh, I am working uh, in this project uh, because the crisis is uh, still with us and I don't know what's going to be the the next book. Thank you very much. <laughs>
that uh, for the for the um, I, I really like uh, bar- variety 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 uh, and I think if you look at the book it's, it's nice to find different ways mm-hmm. to to change the text no? yeah. but uh, I also like the the fact that everything is mine I cannot explain that because <laughs> <laughs> because you know uh, you everything is digital today and sometimes it's it's good to 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 feel to to feel the object and to feel the paper and to. But what if one of your friends forged your writing, the ones that were copying and pasting your words also? But I, ha- also I have to admit that uh, uh, we uh. tried it. It was a totally disaster. Okay. My friends has a horrible calligraphy. <laughs> then I had to do. It's a problem with your friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a problem of friendship. And Tell I was. I don't want to change the subject completely <laughs> because they're still your friends, but um, they're um, also authors. <laughs> no, but but I'm not talking about my f- the authors. My fr- I have a lot of friends. Yeah, the <laughs> friends that helped me with that. Yeah, but were I, no. I was more thinking about uh, you know like um, uh, what's um, Eloy Fernandez Porta and the, the kind of friends that you are seeing with usually in the public arena of literature. And, uh, and uh, I didn't know that you guys actually uh, were as close as, as you were telling me, uh, that you in fact shared offices at some point, and that this group that we have come to know as, as Mutantes, uh, in fact, it might be a group as such. Uh, I mean, do you see that as, as something truthful? Is, is that how you see yourselves? as part of this contemporary history of Spanish Absolutely, literature. yeah. Mm-hmm. A very po- important part. Mm-hmm. The most important part. Of it. I mean, that's a good, that's a good. <laughs> No, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, Cristina is talking about uh, Eloy Fernández Porta that actually works with me in the Pompeu Fabra University and we share the office but is. It's by chance. Uh, actually, the f- my, my fr- friends, my real friends, uh, writers, uh, we live in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And the only two that uh, are called also mutantes are Eloy Sanchez Porta and Robert Juan Cantabella. But my friends are Juan Trejo, writer, uh, Jaime Rodriguez, poet, uh, Luis Alaber, uh, artist, Pierre Marquez, uh, French artist, Matias Enart, French artist. Uh, but in the 2006-56, when I came back from Argentina and Chicago to, to Spain, I met uh, in, in, in a block... Vicente Luis Mora, uh, and Eloy was also writing his blog, and we had very good conversations about uh, contemporary literature and cinema, and also Agustin Fernandez Mayo, that uh, Vicente Luis Mora uh, lives now in Marrakech, but then he was living in Córdoba, 
And Agustín Sánchez Mayo lives in Palma de Mallorca. Germán Sierra lives in Santiago de Compostela, en Galicia. Juan Francisco Ferré lives in Málaga. And, and we met uh, in a block. Uh, we are the first uh, people in the history of Spanish literature that uh, meet in a block because there was no blocks before when we met. No, uh, it was very interesting. Uh, during two years, we were talking a lot in this block. And then we were meeting slowly in person when someone was traveling to the other city. But uh, Juan Francisco Ferré is like 50 years old. Yeah. Germán Sierra is like 52. Agustín is like 41, 42. Vicente is 40. Robert is my age. And Eloy is two years older than me. Mm -hmm. But uh, my real friends, my close friends, are the people that lives with me in in Barcelona. But after all of that, there was a, a book, an anthology called Mutantes that, uh, that Mutantes is a very big anthology. It's like 25, 22 yeah. people and, and we, we don't have a real aesthetics in common. I think there are a lot of points, very interesting points of meeting points, but I don't know if we are a, a group, not a generation, but neither a group. But I feel I feel really close to Eloy and Robert, of, of course. I don't, um, maybe someone can help me with Spanish if this is a little bit cheaper. I'm interested in this concept. I'm hearing about the Mutantes for the first time right now, so I'm sorry if I'm ignorant. But um, I'm thinking about this term mutant or to be a mutant versus to versus to be a mutagen. Do you mm -hmm. know mutagen? Yeah, yeah the mm -hmm. thing that causes the mutation. Mm -hmm. And I was when you were talking about um, uh, when you're talking about the travel writing, you know, with the finding the Chinese line. Um, and uh, in in China, or making the Chinese line be in China, and then there was another one. I had this feeling of like, wow, um, to feel like that was an okay thing to do, yeah. even a moment of pride, was so um, foreign to me because the um, the concept of being a mutant, like being something that's being um, some kind of creature or idea or you know. Thing that has been affected by others feels like morally okay somehow, but to be some to be the mutagen that causes something else to become a mutant feels like it's morally not okay, um, and especially because of travel in America and like a fear of influence of you know Americanness you know and so I was really I was interested in sort of the cultural notions that, or you know the cultural differences between being you know a mutant and a mutagen and what traveling means in that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a question. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, for me, everything is mutant, and everything is changing. And for me, mutant first of all is the the characters of the comic books 
you know, that are the superheroes yeah. and the mutants, yeah. no? For me, the freak, the yeah. mutant is a freak, yeah. and we all we all are mutants because the mutation of the human being is part of the of the system. No? Only if we are mutants, we can uh, be part of the pollution. For me, there is not any problem with that, and. Uh, in in terms of uh, philosophy of travel, I I think we are kind of uh, post tourist, and and I mean for me, tourism is good. Uh, it's not always good, but it's good. And uh, is there the reality of the twenty one century? All of us we are tourists, and we are always changing. The reality when we are traveling, and it's normal. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good. But uh, I don't think we can stop that. Uh, when I was in Australia, I discovered that uh, eucalyptus, you know this, this yeah, tree, yeah, yeah, yeah. the eucalyptus, uh, that is the most important tree in Australia, uh, was sent in a book by a Spanish monk from Galicia to a monk in Australia. The first uh, semilla? The other seed. Were, were sent. No. Then, I mean, I mean, uh, when you you have studied the the biological mutation of the of the wall, there is a book very very good good book called uh, Imperial Ecologism. Yeah. Uh, you know you know that you cannot stop that. Invasion. It's very funny when you came to the states that uh, they are controlling all the you have a, 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 a potato or an apple uh, but but you cannot control what you are carrying in your shoes then uh, or in your hair no? I don't know for me there is not a more moral problem with that. yeah uh, probably lucky you <laughs> 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 it's nice well thank you very much Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs>
I'm sorry about that. Right. Um, thank you so much for your talk. That was no, wonderful. No, thank you. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry for my English, but uh, no, no, it was, it, it no, was fantastic. Really I cannot do anything. Really, I love really the fanzine. Huh? Yeah. Of course, everybody used to make yeah. this. So. Thank you. That was brilliant. Yeah. Thank you very much for the invitation. I can't wait to talk about this. Yeah.